Next week is our prayer week. As you guys know, on that week, we, we try to spend some concentrated time praying together. We're going to set it up this week because this week, while it's our preaching week, we're in our series in the book of Acts called Go, the Motion of Mission. The passage we're in actually has one of my favorite prayers in the whole Bible. It's at the end of Acts chapter 4, and I think it'll help set the tone for where we're going to go next week. But to get to that prayer, there's some background in chapter 3 that we're going to look at. But first, I wanted to ask you guys the question, have you ever listened to kids pray? You ever had the joy of listening to, to children talk to God? Sometimes it can be entertaining. Sometimes it can be just downright heartwarming. Like with, with our boy, Jaden, he likes to talk to God in different languages. Now, I don't mean he's Pentecostal. What I mean is we were sitting at the table one day, and he said, Daddy, how do you pray to God in Spanish? I said, I took French in high school, but I'll give it a shot. We... We said, El Señor, Amen. And I'm not even sure if that last word is even a word at all, but, but we tried. And then another day he said, Daddy, how, how would I, I want to talk to God like a dog. And so we're sitting at the table and he goes, rough, 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 rough. And, and me and Carolyn are looking at each other. We, we got both ends of the spectrum going on in our heads. At first we're like, well, Jaden, God's like the eternal king of the universe, like and since you're not a dog, you should probably talk with them as who you really are, be respectful. But then there's the other side. It's like, you know, God made you that way with that unique sense of humor. So he's probably smiling at you when, when you pray that prayer. But the one that really always confused me with Jaden, when he was about three, every time we'd have dinner, we'd sit down and he'd we'd say, well, you want to pray, Jaden? And he'd say, sure. And he'd thank God for the food. And he'd always end it like this. He'd say, amen, knock your coffee off your stink bomb. And we would just scratch our heads. I'm thinking, wow, I'm a pastor. This must come from his mother. I don't know where. <laughs> yeah, he has. Poor kid. <laughs> but then there's those heartwarming moments, too. Like, I remember about a year ago, my friend was in the hospital, and he had just had a heart attack. Uh, uh, it was actually a little more than a year ago now, because he was a co-pastor at the Heights. Pastor Sam Webb, some of you guys know him and remember him. He's now in Iowa. And I was going to sit with him and pray with him, and and I got home, and, and Carolyn said, did you tell Jaden to pray while you were gone? Or he, I said, yeah, I told him what was going on with Pastor Sam, and she said it was the coolest thing. When you left, he was sitting in the front window, and, and I heard him doing something, so I walked over, and he was saying, dear God, please help Daddy and Daddy's friend to get better. And I was just like, I love to hear my kids pray. Our, our little guy, Evan, makes me laugh sometimes. He's only three, and... And uh, he already knows you can pray about everything. Like, he, he likes to wait till the last possible minute to go to the bathroom, and he'll even come out and say, Daddy, could you pray for my butt to feel better? Because <laughs> he's uncomfortable, and <laughs> that makes us laugh. But then there's something inside of him, too, that, like, we didn't put there. You can tell it's from God. Like, when he sees his mom sick like she was last week or, or uh, someone else is sick, he'll walk over of his own accord and say, God, pray for mommy to feel better. And, and you hear that, and you're like, wow, I love that. I love the idea of prayer. And I wonder how often we take for granted what prayer is. Talking to God. Talking to God. 
what an amazing opportunity we have as, as his children. It's nothing to take advantage or take for granted. So I thought, tonight, let's start there again. Lord, we, we, we ask you to increase our appreciation of what it means to talk to you, to have that privilege. Thank God we rush through our days so quick. And uh, sometimes we feel like it's a duty, and, and that's so messed up because you're the gracious creator of the universe who sent your son. And, and Lord, as we prepare to look at this awesome prayer from the early church and set the stage for some time together in prayer next week, I pray that you would renew in us that childlike wonder that we get to talk to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this prayer, as I said, was in Acts chapter 4, but some background. You guys remember what happened in Acts chapter 3, and I, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I would encourage you guys this week to get in your Bible and open up Acts chapter 3 and 4 and read God's Word. We're going to hit parts of it tonight, but you guys will remember that Peter and John, two of the followers of the risen Jesus, were heading to the temple at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon to pray. And they're walking there, and it says there was a man there who was carried there every day by a gate that was called Beautiful. The, the gate at the temple was called Beautiful, and his, his friends would carry him there. And this man had two devastating conditions. One was that he was crippled. The other one, we know from Acts 4.22, that he was more than 40 years old. That's a little humor for our more mature people in the crowd. Now, I've got to be careful. In a few years, I'm going to join you there. I'm just, just teasing about that. But could, could you imagine? It says he was crippled from birth, and he's over 40 years old. Could you imagine 40 years of, of not being able to walk? I, I'm guessing that at this point, he's pretty much resigned to spending the rest of his life that way. It's the way it, it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. He sees Peter and John coming into the temple, and there's a good chance he, he knew these, these guys were associated with Jesus. We don't know for sure, but word was spreading about him, and he doesn't even ask them for, for healing. All he asks them for is what? Money. He asks them for money. Acts 3, 6, Peter's famous response. Some of you guys will remember this. Misty will put it up there for us. Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, I don't know if you're like me. How many of you have been in church since, like, before you were born? <laughs> if you're like me, sometimes you hear these stories, you read these stories, and you've heard them like a hundred times, thousand times maybe, and you just zip right through. Like, all right, yeah, crippled man healed. What's next? But I just want to stop for a minute and, and view this from that man's perspective. This is a man who never knew as a boy what it was like to run and play with the other boys. He would see them run up and down the streets playing whatever games they played at that time, and he couldn't play. This was a man who never knew the dignity of providing for himself. 
or if he had a family providing for his family because he couldn't walk. There were sinews and tendons in his legs that that had never worked. And right now, on an afternoon where he was brought like he's been brought every other day for most of his life, Peter and John are just going in to pray. They stop. Peter reaches down, and all of a sudden, a man can walk. No wonder, it says, he went in there walking and and jumping and, and praising God, wouldn't you? It also says the people were in awe at what happened. They were filled with wonder and amazement because the people going in to pray at the temple, they saw this guy there every day. They knew this guy is so crippled. He gets carried in here every day. Look at him. He's walking. He's jumping. He's, he's praising God. Peter was always known for his tactfulness and his sensitivity He takes this opportunity and he looks at all the people looking on and he says, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why are you surprised at this? And he gets into this four-point message that's a whole lot like the the one we looked at in Acts chapter 2. Point one is, you guys handed Jesus over to death when Pilate wanted to let him go. Point two You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released instead. Point three, this line just blows my mind. He looks at him, he says, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And oh yeah, this Jesus you handed over and had killed, it's through faith in his name and his power that this man was healed. And then he looks at them all and he says, you've got a choice to make. You need to respond in faith. You need to repent, change your mind about who this Jesus is so that he can bring total restoration to you and your country as he's promised. You talk about in your face. We talked about this with Peter. He had a boldness to his preaching because the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. He wasn't in a popularity contest. He was in this for God. And the religious leaders, these guys had heard enough. All right, because a lot of them had Jesus' blood on their hands, right? They were the ones that held the illegal trials. They were the ones that stirred the people up to saying, crucify him. So you can imagine them sitting there just, just cringing. All this talk was too much. You know what they did? This was the first recorded instance of persecution of the early church. They took Peter and John and they said, in the slammer, buds, you can't talk about this Jesus that way. The messengers were bound up in jail. Do you know what's cool? The message could not be bound up. You know what it says right after they were thrown in jail? Look at Acts 4.4 with us. It says, many who heard believed. They heard Peter talking there. And the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, you remember, we started early on with 120, and then Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 were added. And then it says people were continually added daily, and here the number grows to 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children were part of that. The messengers were bound, but the message of the gospel cannot be bound. I like that. So the next day they wake Peter and John up and they say, you're on trial. You're coming before the highest leaders of the land. The high priest and all his honchos were there. 
And the big question was, by what power or name did you do this? They want to know how these guys pulled this off. Now, if they had been listening to Peter, they would have known. But here's Peter with his life on the line in front of the most important people in the whole country. Powerful people, government speaking. He says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. He goes on to say, salvation is found in no one else. And it says the rulers were blown away by these ordinary, unschooled men. That's the words they, that they use in the Bible. They were fishermen. The word ordinary was translated from the Greek word idioti. What does that sound like? These guys are looking like, how can these idiots come here with such boldness and speak before us with such power? And it says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Something about the way Peter and John spoke and acted told these men, wow, they have been with Jesus. You see, when you live with someone for three years and, and you learn what's important to them and then that person dies... And then they come back to life. They like walk into a locked room with you and eat with you after they've died. That has a way of making you bold. It has a way of making you powerful in your speech. Matthew ten nineteen. Jesus said this would happen. When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. It will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Ultimately, the way these idioti were speaking so powerfully was because the Holy Spirit was in them now. That's what was blowing these leaders away. What they told Peter and John was, all right, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. They couldn't deny what had happened. They're, they're, they're trying to plan what to do with Peter and John, and they're like, look, everybody knows this man's been here for years and years and decades and he hasn't been able to walk and now he can so we can't exactly deny what happened and that's the way it is with real truth you can't really effectively deny truth all you can do is suppress it and that's what these men try to do stop talking about this Jesus you remember what Peter and John said they said judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God for we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard it says the rulers threaten them a little bit more, and then they let them go. Now, here's where we get to Acts 4.23. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they tell them how they've been thrown in jail and threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus again. So it'll be interesting to watch how does the early church respond to this news? What do they do? Would, would they hold a protest in front of the temple? Would they go out and try to overthrow the government? What's the first response of the early church when they hear that the world is against them and the gospel that they have? Look at verse 24. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Their very first response was to take it to God. And as we look at this prayer that they pray together in that room, 
This is what I want to shape our time together next week because I think as we see how the early church prayed, it can inform how we can pray too. As we go through it, I want, I'm going to tell you something you probably don't hear too often from a preacher or a pastor. I want your minds to wander as we go through this prayer. What I want your mind to wander to is what is it that is turning your world upside down? What is rocking your world right now? Because this is what was rocking the world of the early church, this first instance of persecution. So as we read about their prayer when their world was rocked, I want you to think about what's shaking your life up right now. What's confusing you? What's hurting you? What's causing you confusion or pain or stress? I want your mind to wander to that. And as it wanders, I want you to look at where they started in verse 24. You see those first two words? They start, Sovereign Lord. You know what sovereign means? It means in control. Fully in control. The, the Greek word can be translated despot. You know when you hear about a leader in a country that has no checks or balances and no one's holding back his power and no one can tell him what to do or what not to do? That's the word here. Now, when it's a human ruler, that's scary because you got sin involved and people die and people get hurt when rulers have unchecked power. But God, who knows no sin and who is love and is holy, that's the kind of God we want, right? Someone with no checks and balances, no one to hold him back from what he wants to do. Someone in complete control. That's what they believed about God. Nothing could change what he wanted to do. And I wonder, are we a people that believe that about our God? He has no checks or balances. He is in complete control. And some may say, yeah, I believe that. I just read a book about it, or I just did a Bible study about it, about God's sovereignty. I believe God's sovereign. What I want to ask is, I know a lot of us know it up here, but do we really believe it when, when life hits the fan? Do we believe it in here, that God is in complete control? And if we really believe it, then why is it that our first reaction when we have a, a bad day at work or we realize there's a bill that needs to be paid, that our stress level just shoots off the charts? It, and we start to treat the people around us like garbage because we're so stressed out or, or we start to melt down. If we really believe in a God who's in control, why are we so frantic so much of the time? Somebody once asked me a question that I'm still processing through. And I think it's a good one to chew on, especially when you think about your walk with God. They asked me a question, what would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do for God if you weren't afraid? I want to change the question a little bit. It's, it's good in that form. Tonight I want to say, what would you do if you really believed God was in complete control of your life and everything else in the world? What would you step out there and do? They went on to, to say, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and everything in them. The idea here is as you look around at the majesty of creation, 
And we know more about it today than they even did back then. As you look at the, the planets and the stars, Louis Giglio had a great video, How Great Is Our God, a few years ago that, that brings this out in powerful ways. You, you really believe that God made that? It ought to bring a sense of peace to your life. One example, last year on the news, did you, did you guys read about when the scientists discovered what they called the, the monster star? I don't know if you recall that. It's about a year ago now. They found one. It's 265 times as big as our sun. Just, just fathom that for a minute. 265 times as big as our sun. The surface temperature is about 40,000 degrees. That's seven times hotter than our own sun. It shines 10 million times brighter than our sun. And in comparison, it said our sun's brightness would look like the moon next to this one. It would look like our moon looks next to our sun. And what we want to wrestle with here, and Louis Giglio goes on with this for 45 minutes in his video, it blows your mind. If I really believe in a God so immense, so powerful, that he spoke something that huge into existence, and I'm worried about my electric bill... I mean, is he this awesome star-breathing God or, or not? He, they go on in verse 25. They say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. What are they saying in that quote there? They're quoting David from a thousand years earlier in the Psalms. They're saying, God, you knew this was going to happen to Jesus before it ever happened. You, you prophesied about it through your prophet David. And they're looking at this old prophecy and they're saying, wait a second. Why do the nations rage? Okay, the nations, that's the Gentiles. See the second half the, the fulfillment, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They're looking at the prophecy and what actually happened, and they're saying, wow, the nations are the Gentiles, okay? Uh, they're Pilate and others that weren't Jewish, that were part of Jesus' crucifixion. And the peoples, those were the people of Israel, the ones that yelled, crucify him. And it says, the kings of the earth take their stand against Jesus. Well, okay, that's, that's Herod. He, he took his stand against Jesus. And, and the rulers gather together. Yeah, that's Pontius Pilate. And all of a sudden, they're getting this revelation that, wow, God, you were in complete control the whole time when Jesus was killed. It was your plan. And that gave them hope that, okay, if you were in control then... You're in control now when we're going through this persecution. We can look at what we're going through, wherever your mind wandered to, what's overwhelming you, and say, wow, if God was in control at the moment of the cross, he's in control of what I'm going through right now. One of the coolest things is in verse 28. It says, those people, the nations, the peoples, Pilate, Herod, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Ray Steadman, great author, calls this the mystery of history. Listen to his quote. The mystery of history is that God uses even his enemies to accomplish his purpose. That is awesome. Even Satan he uses. Satan is, does not do whatever he wants to do. He must receive God's permission, as you remember from the story of Job, before he can do anything. And God always orchestrates it into his plan where he wants things to head. So the idea here is that when Jesus was arrested in the garden, God didn't call an emergency meeting with the Holy Spirit and say, all right, what are we going to do? You know, when, when Jesus was led before Pilate, God wasn't biting his fingernails like, like LeBron James loves to do during basketball games. I don't know if you ever watch him on the bench. I think he's got a lot of nervous energy, and obviously he uses his energy well on the basketball court. God doesn't bite his nails when things when, when Jesus was taken before Pilate, he, he wasn't looking for like this backup plan B when they nailed Jesus to the cross. He was in complete control, and he already had in mind the resurrection of his son and the fact that millions and billions of people created in his image would be brought to salvation through that dark moment. It was his plan. It did not catch God off guard. And that should give us confidence that what I'm going through right now is not a surprise to God. It did not catch him off guard. And he can work it to the good of those that love him as he promises. Verse 29. They said, now, Lord... I want to pause here before we go to the next slide, Misty. Now, Lord, consider their threats, the threats of this government against Peter and John and the other believers. Stop talking in the name of Jesus. And dot, dot, dot. And I want you to think about what might follow in our prayers. Consider their threats and destroy those wicked people. Put different leaders in place, Lord. Keep us safe. Take this problem away. Is that what they prayed? No, you know what they prayed? Go on, Misty. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I read that and I am super challenged. They knew God's will for them was to be witnesses of Jesus. That was their primary purpose for being here. He told them that in Acts 1, right? That word witness comes up 38 times in this book of Acts. It's sort of important. That was their job. That's our job. That's why we're here, to be witnesses of Jesus. So I thought about what if, whatever that thing is wandering through your mind right now, this rocked your world, what if when that medical test comes back positive, what if one of my prayers was, God, help me through this to speak your word with great boldness to the people that watch me go through this? my family that don't know you, these nurses and doctors, some of whom don't know you. Or when I get that foreclosure notice, one of, what if one of my first prayers was, God, help me to handle this with your grace. Help me to speak your word boldly to the people that are watching me go through this. Or when my boss threatens to fire me because I won't cut that ethical corner that he wants me to cut. God, help me to speak your word boldly. 
when the government threatens to take away the church's nonprofit status. God, help us to speak your word boldly anyway. What if that was our first response when we went through stuff? Philip Brooks said it this way. He said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. We have that power. It's the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. I thought about something here that, that I wanted to share. It's a little bit of a side, side trail, but I think it fits. I was reading for the first time the biography of Jim Elliott, one of the, the missionaries killed reaching out to the Alka Indians in South America. His wife obviously wrote it. And in the preface, as she talked about his life and reaching out to these Alka Indians that eventually led to him being killed. She said, some would look at my husband's life and call it extraordinary. I'll leave that up to the reader to decide. But she went on to say this, if his life was extraordinary, I have a question. What does that say about the state of Christianity today? What is she saying? She's like, that's not supposed to be extraordinary to give our lives for Jesus. In living or dying, we are literally to be martyrs. Because we've got a misunderstanding of what that word martyr means. We hear martyr and we, we automatically go to that person that lost their physical life for Jesus. But you know the very word witness in the book of Acts? that we are all called to be, that word is martyros, martyr. We are supposed to be daily giving our lives for Jesus, whether that is in life or death. And that should not be something extraordinary for a few, like Jim Elliott. It should be for all of us. Will we be men and women that even in the face of our trial say, God, help us to be better witnesses? Because that's what we're here for. So that was the end of the prayer, but not the end of the story. Verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Can you imagine if this room just started shaking right now? The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Their prayer was answered. That's when God likes to answer it. They spoke the word of God boldly. Face of persecution, they spoke the word of God boldly. Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has his vision of the Lord. There's this shaking in both of those visions. Often in the presence of the Lord, there's this shaking of the room or this environment. God's people prayed and he showed up. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and he enabled them to do the very thing they asked for, to speak the word of God boldly. I thought about if you were to ask the average guy in Jerusalem that day, just go up the street and do a poll like, okay, where was the most important meeting in Jerusalem held today? Probably most of the people would say that, that was when the high priest and the Sanhedrin all met together to decide what would happen to Peter and John. That was the most important meeting that happened here today. Do you think that's what those believers in that room that were praying would say? 
No, they would say the most important meeting that happened in Jerusalem today happened when we cried out to the sovereign Lord of the universe. When we met with him and asked him for power to speak his word boldly. And history would prove that latter group right, that that was the more important meeting. Because you see, 40 years later, that city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. The temple was destroyed. The priesthood was set aside. And there would never be another another government in place over that country for 2,000 years. During that same 2,000 years, the gospel of Jesus Christ spoken by those people in that room spread throughout the Roman Empire and around the world. That was the more important meeting. It went on to transform individual cities, countries, and nations. And it continues to do that today. Even in that nation of Israel, which is exciting. If Peter were here, I think he'd say, yeah, it's just like Jesus told me back before he was crucified. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I wonder if as a church we have that sort of boldness. Do we believe that? The gates of hell won't prevail against Jesus' church. So this week as we think about that prayer, I'd encourage you, read Acts 3 and 4. Begin to take whatever it is that's rocking your world right now to God in prayer. And what we're going to do next week is very intentionally in our week of prayer together, we're going to work our own situations through this prayer that they prayed. And we're going to bring ourselves to the place with God's help where we're asking God, help us to go out of here and speak the word boldly even in the context of this trial. Lord, I thank you for prayer. God, we got to admit that too many times it's not our first response when we go through stuff. Too many times it's to rely on our own wisdom or our own power or people around us. God, you are the sovereign Lord. You are in complete control. You created the heavens and the earth. You created the monster star. Help us to put our trust in you like these early believers did. And God, help us to have a higher priority for our lives than our comfort and our ease. God, they could have prayed that. But they said, enable us to speak your word boldly. That was the cry of their hearts. May that be the cry of our hearts, Lord. God, I know you cared for each one of them as they walked through those trials, those persecutions. I know you care for us as we walk through ours. That's why we can turn to you. That's why we can trust you, that your way is best. God, strengthen us this week. Help us to be a people who are giving those trials over to you throughout the week this week, and then as we come together next week and run them through this prayer. God, may it be powerful. Help us to speak your word boldly. Help us to be martyrs in life and in death. Lord, help us not to wait for that one moment when our physical life ends. Help us to be a martyr every day. Care more about you than what the people around us think. 
believe in your gospel more than we believe anything else. God, we know we can't do this on our own. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. May we be a people fully controlled by him. May we be a people that rest in you and your sovereignty so that the world would look in and say, I want that. I want that peace. I want that purpose. God, may we be a room full of idiots that people look at and say, wow, those people have been with Jesus. I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of this world and walk with you than to be esteemed by this world. Lord, may we be a people of prayer. That even as we collect our offering tonight, we give it to you with open hearts, open hands, for the purpose of your word advancing in this community and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.